Goodman. And I'm Sarah Merle. And so the day finally came, uh, as we were all fearing for quite some time, and we had previewed previous, we had previewed, uh, I don't know, how long ago was that? 35 years ago? <laughs> yeah, 35 years ago in post-pandemic time. Um, you know, I, uh, I'm getting real tired of the feeling of being a fucking prognosticator. Um, I remember the first, so the first abortion protest I ever went to was when I was 19 because Barack Obama had not been elected yet. And uh, I stood on the corner of 38th Street and Meridian where there's a Planned Parenthood clinic and wore my pink Planned Parenthood shirt and held my sign uh, and <clears throat> that was my first experience with that. And I was alarmed by how many men specifically pulled over on a, the main Meridian street in the middle of Indianapolis to just tell us, tell us their opinions about it and, uh, you know, voice their objections to what we were trying to accomplish with our, <clears throat> with our little protest and uh special shout out to all of the uh the dumb second wave feminist cows who uh said things like well it's decided law they don't they don't actually want to overturn it because no one actually wants that and you know what i actually agree with that you know what i mean i i actually agree with functionally they don't want a society without an abortion uh without legal abortion but um like they've been talking about this for so long that it's kind of like being the schoolyard bully that promises every day you're going to punch the biggest kid in school on the last day of school and like then you're like oh shit I think I have to do it yeah, it's 40 kind of, years later <laughs> yeah honestly this kind of is what it feels like it's like oh shit I think we really have to do this like I don't do you, I mean how do you feel about like yeah. I don't I don't think that this is even like a real this is not a policy decision. This is purely ideological. And I don't think any of these people actually care what happens to society afterwards. But like, that's not even the point, right? Yeah. And I'll, I'll make this. I mean, I just for anybody who's been living under a rock, uh, the <laughs> Supreme Court overturned Roe and Casey today uh, in Dobbs. The, um, the majority uh, opinion, which is penned by Alito, is very, very similar to the one that was leaked in the draft. Um, there's a little bit, there's a little bit cleaned up in terms of citations, a little more chest pounding. Um, and we got separate concurrences by Thomas Kavanaugh and Roberts, but, and I'm not even going to, I don't think it's worth our time to go through again, the decision. Yeah. Cause we went, we did that in full, um, yeah. In the previous one, I think that it's better, as you said, talking about sort of the politics around it. And I also want to talk about the dissent, um, which is incredibly powerful. And um, I think I think the point you're making is that the people who make this decision, even the Amy Coney Barrett's of the world, if their daughter, yeah. granddaughter, niece needs an abortion, they can always get one. Yeah. And um, theirs are different, right? Yeah. Like they're their abortion is fundamentally a different situation than the one that they are trying to use the law to prevent other people. I mean, like I joke about this, but there is a website. I'm going to see if I can find it real quick, but um, it's a website that was run by, it was anonymous. Um, like, uh, oh, what do you call that kind of testimony, I guess from abortion clinic workers who performed abortions on the, people the women the people or their children who protest outside their clinic every single day and you know harass women trying to get health care and call them murderers and you know tell them that they're going to go to hell and then their daughter gets pregnant by some yahoo at school and they're like oh yeah well, we'll just get an abortion mm -hmm. well this one's special this one's an exception it's always it's always that i mean it's always yeah. that like the the idea that i keep coming back to is you know 
uh, abortion is now a, because it's seen as a moral choice, like an inherently moral decision, you know, it's one of those things like, I don't have to worry about that because that's something that's, that bad people do and I'm not a bad person. So I'll never have to worry about that. My spouse is not a bad person. My daughter's not a bad person. So we won't ever have to worry about that. So I don't really care. Um, and uh, I think, I think we're going to see some real medical tragedies uh, before anybody comes to the table saying yeah. maybe this wasn't a very good idea. Uh, it's a statistical certainty. We just know that there are going to be uh, absolutely horrific things that happen to women because that's what always happens yeah. uh, when access to necessary reproductive health care uh, uh, is eliminated. And, and I, I want to make this that Kavanaugh tries to sort of have his cake and eat it. He mm. tries to argue that this is the neutral position for the court. Um Breyer completely annihilates um, uh, that argument by basically just asking, would it be a neutral position to, for the court to allow California or New York to outlaw firearms? Mm. Um, that the whole point of, <laughs> of having rights is that uh, the neutral position for the court is to prevent them from being abridged so that people can make their own choices. Right. That's the neutral position. Uh, for the court. And I think that that's an important thing to state here is that this is an exercise of sheer power yep. that um, nothing has fundamentally changed since Roe and Casey were decided. Nothing in the law, nothing in the world. It's not like abortion suddenly became uh, incredibly dangerous. <laughs> Yep. Or something like that. Um, it wasn't as if we we discovered something brand new in our in our doctrines of law. It's simply that the composition of the court has changed. Yeah. So, and they could exercise their power in the conservatives could exercise their power in this specific way. And you're really hitting on something I think is so important. You're talking about the lived experiences of women. You're talking about the actual real world consequences uh, to women's lives. Um, and the, and the majority opinion doesn't address that really at all. It's all in abstracts. It's all talking about history. Um, it goes all the way back again to the thir- 13th century, which Breyer, Breyer then puts uh, 13th century. And then just to, you know, to, to drive home the point opens parentheses and writes 13th century exclamation point. <laughs> like this is, um, Breyer at his most contemptuous and acerbic. And he is like, Mr. He's excruciatingly nice and polite almost all of the time. This is him at his absolute, um, most volcanic, um, and cause he goes through, what happens? What happens in the real world? And this is something that the majority simply doesn't care about. Yep. That just, that always gets me because like in um, in <laughs> earlier in the week, there's a decision uh, striking down New York's uh, restrictions on open carry um, and uh the justice Thomas was very clear that in, in deciding rights, it has to be, you know, in regulations, you have to think very carefully about the real world, world consequences. Um, <laughs> and then suddenly now here, we're not discussing the real world consequences at all. It's, it's like, uh, it, it's not their problem all of a sudden. And it's just the hypocrisy is in, I mean, it, it's like, it's like, is it even worth pointing out the hypocrisy? It's like, you know, it, to I me, think it matters. I mean, of course it matters. Like it matters, but like, you know, haven't we learned this lesson already in the last, you know, five or six years? I, you, you nail exactly my problem with anti-choice rhetoric, which is, it is all in the abstract, right? It is. No one wants to talk about, <clears throat> like, this This back and forth absolutely kills me. 
ban all abortions. All abortions are bad. And then me and my side says, so do you think that child rape victims should be forced to birth their rapist babies? And the response is, well, that's less than 1% of cases. So, and it makes me want to choke a bitch because do those kids not exist? Like, do those, you know, if, if every single little baby in the womb at, you know, a little 10 day old blastocyte is worth saving because they're a whole person, like, I guess that it's just like, maybe is the, is the message, is the message in practice that like, maybe kids shouldn't be so sexy to predators? Like, <laughs> what are we saying? You know what I mean? Like, fine tell me a, a grown adult woman who has consensual sex for pleasure like that i need to take responsibility for my reproductive health fine 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 but i just i'm so tired of this like you bring up a real case minority though it is and the same people who think that like one out of every 1000 people who gets a shot off at a mass shooter means that we should all be strapped up like we're bungee jumping to borrow a phrase from Mr. Paul Wall. And like, at the same time, you bring that exact same logic up to an infinitely, at least equally, if not infinitely more tragic situation. And they're like, yeah, well, too bad for that kid. It's because they believe fundamentally that the right exists for them to be able to carry weapons, but they don't think that women fundamentally have a right to uh, control their own reproduction and it has nothing to do with legal reasoning. They already have a priori come to that decision and then the rest is just backfill. <laughs> can, I, can I ask a question specifically about, so what, I, what struck me uh, about so many of these, <clears throat> um, the uh, both opinions being written is, uh, wow, Clarence Thomas literally says, well, we should really re-examine Griswold, and we should probably mm-hmm. uh, examine um, uh, Oberfell, and yeah, uh, and then <clears throat> curiously leaves out loving out of those decisions, and it's it is uh, I you know I would say shocking, but that's a lie. But it's just like still kind of like a wow, like truly, truly just carving things out for yourself and people like you. Incredible. So I have a good, I have an answer that takes him in good faith and I have an answer that takes him in what I actually think he he cares about. So the good faith answer is that he specifically hears targeting substantive due process decisions and he doesn't believe that substantive due process is a thing. He doesn't believe it exists. And the thing that differentiates Loving is that Loving was an equal protection decision, not a substantive due process decision. Okay. That's the good faith answer. Unfortunately, he has not written very much at all on equal protection. We have very little from him uh, other than than, uh, a few uh, throwaway stuff because he has not generally written um, majority opinions on, on high profile cases in the past. But based on his votes, he would not have voted to uphold <laughs> loving either because um, he doesn't appear to give equal protection much weight. So even in the good faith world, um, the only carve out could be for his own personal interest, which is he's in an interracial marriage. It could be the most convoluted way ever to, you know, get a divorce. Um <laughs> But I think um, I think that that loving that I would not be surprised if he found himself on the wrong side of a five four <laughs> overturning yeah. loving, and then he would act all freaking surprised. You know, um, again, I, we're we're back to we should make we should make shirts out of this, which is I didn't think the lion would eat my face. Yeah. Dash. Lions Eating Faces 2020 voter. I think that in the immediate, in the short term, we do that the ones he names, Obergefell, um, Lawrence, and um, Griswold, 
are the ones that we should worry about the most. And this is specifically dealing with gay marriage, um, <laughs> the decriminalization of sodomy, of, oh. uh, and um, and also uh, con- the right to contraception. Uh, I- and the right has already turned their... Um, have, has already turned their fire immediately onto contraception. Yeah. I think that's the next big battlefront along with gay marriage. And I think we can see Obergefell fall um, before we see them go after Lawrence so that they can reinstitute sodomy laws. Great. Great. Good. Here's, here's my question. <clears throat> Since all these are decisions about right to privacy, right? How, if they do overturn these and Mississippi, let's just go through our typicals that would that would overturn that that would, that would recriminalize it. So all the southern states, Florida, Texas, uh, probably all the way up to like Wyoming. Um, how the fuck would that be enforced? Um, what the fuck would happen after that? Like, are like, are we talking about, you know, I don't know, the fucking sheriff in Texas or or the, you know, fucking, what are they called? The rangers. Oh, the, the, yeah, the rangers. The like, the, like the rangers can raid your house that you share with your boyfriend and look for lube. Like, oh, well, there's lube here. So, you know, what, what, what the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck? Are they going to test actually, like... Yeah. Are they going to test my my blood or my piss for the amount of artificial hormones I have in my body? Well, I mean, e- even in the past, even in the bad old days, these these laws were not really enforced, um, mostly because they didn't need to be. The threat of it was usually enough to force um, queer people into the closet, um, and that's that's the. I mean, I think the goal. I don't know what the goal is beyond. Uh, beyond that sort of assertion of power is like changing society, taking back the public space so they don't have to see like, you know, um, so they don't have to see queer people in movies and stuff or in real life. Uh, What I think it signals is, I think that, what the court is doing is accelerating the sort of fractures in American society because by kicking these back to the States, individuals are just going to have vastly different rights depending on where they live. And this, what, what the court in the sort of mid 20th century did was to harmonize the protection so that you could live, you know, if you could live, uh, as an open gay person anywhere in the United States and still get married, thanks to Obergefell, right? That you could be an interracial couple in California just as easily as you could in Kansas. You could get an abortion, um, you know, whether you're in Mississippi or Maine. But now, but now your rights are going to depend so so much, particularly for people who are marginalized, that we're going to see additional geographic sorting. Um, I mean, one major impetus for me to move out of where I am now. So, yeah, I mean, one of the reasons why I'm, I don't feel it's tenable now to continue to live in red states is that, you know, um, my as I'm thinking about having kids, I'm just worried about um, the way that the treatment uh, of minorities of women will be in those places, and I want to make sure that I live in in states where they will at least be protected, if not by federal law, then by state law. Uh, <clears throat> that's just like that is almost beyond my comprehension. Right, I've only grown up in an America where. My rights as uh, a woman, I mean, not in all cases, especially not with uh, rape here in the state of Indiana, but um, it's really, really hard for me to imagine, and I'm sure plenty of others, what it looks like 
if if every single one of these decisions go back goes back to the states, right? So, guns, abortion, uh, you know, the existence of public schools. Um, well, I could I could tell you in Indiana, um, the legislature comes back into session in early July. So, oh, they're called. They're they're the governors called them back for a special session. So. Uh, yeah, so we're going to see that legis. That's what we're going to start seeing. Yeah. And meanwhile, in other states, like we see in Michigan with Governor Whitmer, um, in California, on the entire West Coast, Washington, Oregon, and California have declared that they're going to be like um, uh, reproductive freedom, uh, like a, a reproductive freedom zone. Um, we're going to see this further splintering um, into into regions, and I think ultimately, if Republicans take back the legislature, uh, the House and the Senate in twenty twenty two, they already want to put a national abortion ban um, on the table. And as Justice Breyer puts it, that the, the that the question for women in states that outlaw abortion will not be whether or not. Um, she can save to get to New York or California. It's to be whether she can get to Toronto. Right. Um, That's the goal. This is step one. And I know that there's some support by Democrats for uh, a national, for federal legislation. um, But I think the court would just strike it down. Yep. I know that they would. Uh, The only thing we could do <clears throat> is uh, an amendment. Is that correct? Yeah, which is not happening. Right. Right. Um, you I know, think the other thing we can do, actually, I think there are like two, there, there are three things. I think that we should try to pass the national, the federal law anyway. Yeah. Because um, it's worth doing and having them strike it down is worth doing, um, yeah. if only again to show the utter hypocrisy. Right. Because it is within the federal government's right to um, regulate this, even if it is to say that it has to be legal. Um, it's good to get the justices on the record for why not. Um, yep. And then I also think that, you know, this is something you and I have talked about that may be necessary and I think is increasingly necessary is that we just need to expand the Supreme Court. Yep. Um that right now the court is packed <laughs> between all the Garland nonsense yep. and blocking that um, with the uh, basically railroading in uh, credibly accused um, uh, sexual uh, like uh, sexual predators in Thomas and Kavanaugh. We essentially have uh, a packed and illegitimate court anyway. I think that... Um, adding additional justices is the straightest line. And hopefully I think, and we only need 50 plus one. We just need the presidency and then 50 votes in the Senate um, to get that done because the size of the court is determined by statute. Um, So that's relatively easy to fix. Um, And hopefully people will see that not as a, radical act, but in fact a necessary act to rein in a radical court. Can I, I just want to say uh, that of course it's really cool on leftist internet to like talk about how this is a failure of the Democrats and like I'm not saying that it, that it isn't but all the while you know for the last 20 years motherfuckers like Grover Norquist have refashioned have taken in all the seams of the suit of democracy and all that time that people weren't voting and weren't caring about stuff because it's boring and it has boring names is how we we come to the point where it takes nine democratic votes national votes to cancel out one conservative vote uh electorally and you just said the thing that I'm going to yell in people's fucking faces like a real prick for a long time, which is what the fuck do you think will happen to a law passed, any law passed under a Supreme Court that has already decided that Roe v. Wade is unconstitutional? 
What the fuck do you think is going to happen? Yo, like, oh, you know what? You guys, you're right. You're actually right. We're going to let this one go through. It's like, <laughs> you know, I, I share this. I share this frustration. I don't think that it's an unfounded frustration with elected Democratic leadership, no. but w- w- they have been architecting Look, we all did minority this together. rule. Yeah, I mean, what, I, let's be yeah. honest. We all did this together. Yes. Um, everybody did. And I, I take as much responsibility as every, as anyone else that for those of us on the left, we haven't done enough. We haven't yeah. been smart enough, strategic enough, ruthless yeah. enough. We haven't come out to vote every election cycle. Yeah. Um, we haven't we, cared. We have allowed anti-choice Democrats on the ticket. And like, I don't want to hear fucking stupid goddamn motherfucking Kente Cloth Pelosi talk about how you know we have to like make some you know we have to like make some uh concessions you know and it's like okay fine that's not one of them period (laughs) that's not one of them yeah and i I have to say like and the and a lot of blame goes on the right for wanting and desiring these sorts of things in the first place for being willing to cheat their way to victory and then i there's blame falls on on the democrats and on the apathetic for not caring or not doing enough to, 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 to stop it. That like, there's no, that there are a lot of different targets that we could go after and no one, everyone is deserving. No one is spared. Um, but it also doesn't help us at this point to chart the way out. Um, that ultimately we have to, care as much and vote like we care as much as the other side that's what i'm saying like honestly congrats to you guys for being able to frame up a believable apocalyptic vision of you know the future that's not even the future it's just the world that we live in right now like it's not like there's not some like apocalyptic tomorrow that happens it's like you know my main beef with all these with with christianity itself is like do you know much about like revelations in the rapture yeah yeah so like all these motherfuckers believe that they are either like bringing about the end of the world the rapture you know revelations or they believe that like whatever societal destruction happens because of their decisions doesn't really even matter because the world's gonna end when jesus comes back anyway so who cares and it's like it is like, I mean, I imagine that this is what it's like if you worked in a psych ward, except like the patients got like equal power as administration about like how the, how the ward is run. And you just have to like try to reason with them. And it's like, you know, Ronald Reagan lives under my bed at night. And you have to be like, oh, okay, well, I'll have to talk to Ronald. Then Should I come back later at nine when Ronald's here? Will he be under your bed? Should I talk to him about it? And yeah. it's like. Why do I have to take this fucking shit seriously? I'm I'm so fucking angry about this. Well, I feel that way about you know trying to argue with originalists who are like consulting yeah. the tiny t- the tiny founding fathers who live in their head. Um, <laughs> that like, and Breyer makes this really good point, and it's one that should be common sense to most. Is that like, you know that. Alito's argument and their reading of unenumerated rights and the right to reproductive choice is an unenumerated right. It's not mentioned explicitly in the in the Constitution. Um, then and Alito says, you know, basically that if something's unenumerated and it's not, you know, and it was not understood as part of a as a right when the Fourteenth Amendment was drafted, it's not included there. But uh, as Breyer points out, the people who ratified the 14th Amendment weren't necessarily, weren't specifically people. They were specifically men. Yeah. And it was, and he writes, quote, so it is perhaps not so surprising that the ratifiers were not perfectly attuned to the importance of reproductive rights for women's liberty or for their capacity to participate as equal members of our nation. Um, And this, yeah. He's, you know, he's pointing that out. It, it feels like two people that are just saying like, yeah, like back and forth to each other. It's like, yeah, I know. Back when they weren't full, like participating members of society, the good old days. And Breyer's like, 
oh man, back when they weren't like full participating members of society, that was bad. And they're like, yeah, wait, what? You said it's bad? I, oh, okay. Yeah, and I mean, that's the, that's the thing that when you root, that like the problem with originalism and this sort of like very stunted way of viewing rights is that it's, it grounds rights within the conception of freedom, of equality, of liberty that existed in the seven, in like the 18th and 19th centuries. I mean, with a specific class of men, and if you go back to the founding, of white men um, who were slavers and their conceptions of those ideas. And the, the whole genius of the Constitution is that they knew that societies change over time. Yep. That their conceptions of uh, freedom, liberty, pursuit of happiness, of equality were different than those of their forebears. And so they assumed the same for us. So that's why they didn't list out why they did not enumerate all the rights. Instead, they said, here are some basic ones, but there are other ones that we didn't list out here, but they're just as important. And you guys will hash that out on your own. And for all their errors, this was the found, the genius of the founding fathers in allowing that flexibility of an allowing the scope of who was allowed to like, who could benefit from the fruits of America, who could truly be an American would expand over time. And this is the f- one of the first times, I think it's the first time in constitutional law that a freedom that was granted... Uh, has now been taken away. Uh, I, and it ain't the end. <laughs> no, and it's like learning that, uh, for example, I've probably said this before, but in Texas, uh, a, an OBGYN can perform up to a hundred abortions without reporting any of them to the, to the state, because that's, I don't know. I don't know why it's that many. I guess like that's another one of those like less than secret carve outs for like people with access to a family doctor. Um, but you know, this will not be about, I, I truly believe that our laws are drafted essentially to bridge over the 13th amendment and give us like a, permanent prison class of slave labor and like i can't help but read it in that light where it's like you know if you are for example a person trying to get a union together at your local whatever the fuck walmart warehouse and then in the same way that they do it with um ice enforcement you know your supervisor will suddenly say oh, you know, we got some interesting information about you, about how you went out of town for four days. It would be a shame if someone had to investigate you for getting an abortion. It just becomes a way of, even if it's not like a a credible threat that gets followed through on, it's like it becomes yet another way to just like control women by invading their lives. Oh, this is about control. This is about hegemony. Um, That... It is almost explicitly so. (laughs) Uh, It's hard to read it any other way because of how absent women are from the analysis. That is bonkers to me. We're we're looking at, you know, what religious thinkers, religious legal thinkers thought in the 13th century, but we're not looking at the impact on maternal mortality. We're not looking at the impact on specifically of poor women, which obviously the dissent does. To And if you read Casey um, or Hellerstedt or any of the other, uh, or the any of the more recent um, decisions in this line, they did grapple and over the very difficult balancing because uh, of where, uh, where to give some weight to... Um, a fetus, but to also give full dignity and moral choice to women. And they really did think about um, the impact on the lives at stake. And there's none of that here no. in, in the majority's opinion. And that's the worst type of legal thinking. The mo- more abstract you get, 
I think the worse your thinking gets. And the reason yes. is, is that like, then you're making laws for a fantasy world, not the real world, but the fantasy world. And in a fantasy world, like anything can be true. Thank you. In, in their fantasy world where no one ever has a medical complication from pregnancy, right? Like, you know, Dr. Darian, everybody's favorite online uh, Instagram doctor says, you know, pregnancy is not a health neutral condition. It is a health negative condition. It is guaranteed to, at some point, make you feel pain, discomfort, you know, it will disrupt your sleep. Like, if we didn't know this was pregnancy and you applied, you know, an illness that made you throw up every day for three months and hurt so much near the end that it kept you up at night slash made you scream out loud, even with a nerve blocker. Like we would be like, God damn, we need to get a research team to figure out how to cure that. That is awful. <laughs> like that is insane. Yeah. But, but with, you know, with pregnancy again, you know, like my, my dad and my sister and my mom and my brother-in-law, all had to go through high risk delivery ward rotations. That's part of your teaching as a doctor. And that is separate by the way, from just like the regular OB delivery ward. So there is like, you know, the NICU exists and it's on like, it's, it's so specialized that it's on, it's like separate floor. There are clean rooms and there are all this like, you know, special ventilation. And my mom always said that like, you know, we're really just like a bunch of cells that keep dividing. And then we just divide until there's so many of them that it's a person. And like, it's pretty cool, right? Like, you know, your, your cells are programmed with uh, just like an inherent computer language that tells this cell to become a lip and this cell to become an epithelial cell inside your lung, whatever. Um, but as my mom said, you know, think about how often your computer crashes. Yeah. Like, think about how often you install a new piece of software and it's just immediately fucked up. And she doesn't say fucked up, but, uh, you know, she said the same thing is really true about pregnancy and about babies, which is like, if something's going to go wrong when it's, when it's the very, very first, first cell, then two cells, then four cells and so on that make you in a person, uh, it's really, it's, it's going to happen at the beginning. Really bad stuff happens to, uh, little blastocytes and fetuses, because that's just when your body is the least, number of parts and it's making the most parts the fastest and shit goes wrong all the time because it's nature and she said it's the single hardest part about participating in medicine and when my sister went through her delivery her high-risk ward you know she like almost made her want to quit medicine like mm. just quit because it was not tenable emotionally and back to your back to our our you know conversation here about real world consequences it's unfathomable. It's unfathomable the kind of things that can go wrong. Do you know what? Have you ever heard the term anencephaly? No. Uh, if you take that apart uh, with your old etymology, and without oh. encephaly, no brain. Oh. Baby born without brains. Yeah. Happens all the time. All the time. A baby is just born with no brain, and all it has is kind of the little brain stem. So... It will respond to light stimuli. It will open its eyes. It might make gurgling sounds, you know, uh, but it will never be a person. It will never, it's, there's nothing in there. There's no brain in there. Yeah. There's only, you know, you know, mo motor reflexes. And that's just like one example of something that happens pretty frequently. And a lot of people of faith will choose to go ahead with their pregnancy, which is absolutely their right and their choice. Uh, but a lot of people will also abort because that's not ever going to become a person. Like, it's not mm -hmm. like, it's not a child with down syndrome. It's not a person with a developmental delay. That person doesn't have a brain. They'll yeah. never be anything but reflexes. And I mean, their brain, they did, they, they literally lack the hardware yeah. to be a human being. Yes, correct. They'll never have a personality. They'll never have emotions. It's, it's unclear even whether or not they feel pain the way that you or I do. They don't yeah. see. Obviously, there's no part of their brain to process vision. There's no part of their brain to process any of their other senses. Um, and my mom would tell me all the time, like, 
you know, if you have a if you have a mildly deformed child, that's actually pretty lucky. Like it's pretty lucky that like it was born, it has a survivable abnormality that can be fixed with surgery or maybe just might be like a disability. But you know, she says it happens way more often yeah. than anybody wants to say because it ruins the romance of childbirth and it scares women and you don't want to tell a pregnant <laughs> mom who's already like going fucking through it just to be pregnant. Um, I don't know. I, I'm, but I think that the key there is that, you know, these are difficult choices that people can make according to their own ethical and moral guidelines Yeah, that they can make the decision that's best for them, their families, their faith, however it might be the one that they can live with. Yeah. And what we have here is just the most intrusive, like uh, it, I find it so deeply upsetting that it's really hard to explain that like the best thing I can say, the best analogy I have, and I think beginning and end of life have some um, uh, uh, analogous situations as as when my, when my dad was dying and we had to make a decision whether or not to enact his living will, like the last thing I needed was, you know, fucking, you know, Samuel Alito to tell me what to do. Oh my God. All I can think about is, this conversation with your doctor, your your dad's oncologist, right? Like your dad's hospice care, where a nurse or a doctor, you get a fucking phone call who says, you know, I know you wanted palliative care and I know that's in his living will, but according to, you know, whatever, Nevada state law, New York state law, unfortunately we won't be able to provide that for him. And you're like, how is this anyone's fucking business but mine and my family's? And now... You know, your your doctor is saying, Ugh, your baby has a fatal abnormality. They're going to live for a few hours after they're born. And this is, this thing happens to wanted babies. Uh, a baby that is aborted in its third trimester is a wanted baby. And something terrible has happened to it. And I, um... The grief, the grief and the heartache that will be distributed among us because of the unfathomable grief it will cause to everyone that we love. I'm never going to have a baby. I'm never going to get pregnant. But the grief of someone you love having to go through that and the devastation it causes on their lives will ripple through all of us and it will be... I mean, we're, we're just headed for some really hard times, you know? Yeah. And why, and uh, the thing, and the thing here is like, why make that harder? Yeah. <laughs> why right. interject the state into this at all? Something that, this is the whole point of the right to privacy, that there's some decisions that are just so close to us um, that it's just, it's not a space for the state. And these are, and I think that, you know, the right to privacy is sort of a nebulous concept. People, yeah. even in the law, struggle to define um, where it comes from. Is it like a combination of like the First Amendment, Fourth Amendment, Fourteenth Amendment? Like where? And the answer is like it's a combination of all of them Yeah. Um, that uh, we recognize. And I think correctly through our jurisprudence of the exact kind of difficulty and emotional waiting of these and part of these situations and then trusting people to make to be full moral agents to not be you know just wanton baby killers um (laughs) that i'm not going to just start murdering grandpa for insurance money that like (laughs) it does a disservice to Americans to think of them like that because those are not the people I know. I don't. I don't think I've ever met anyone um, who would behave that way. And um, again, this, I return in this moment. I return to my original argument. Anybody that's using abortion for birth control certainly should not be anyone's parent under any circumstances. <laughs> like that is not the solution to give that person a child by force. No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, it seems like uh, it, it seems like the wrong 
It seems like the wrong punishment. Um, that is not a solution-oriented uh, result. Yeah, but the po- the point is never to harm it, to make a better world. I mean, I think that's the thing that gets me is by staying so abstract and never grappling with lived experience, you never have to reckon with the fact that your that this ideology makes the world worse. Yeah, that's right. I guess the thing that like. I have no trouble. I have no problem with Amy Coney Barrett and her family making the decisions that are right for them. None. I have no problem with Samuel Alito making and his family making the decisions that are right for them. None whatsoever. Hmm. I just don't think that they should be able to make those decisions for me too, and for you, and for all of the people out there. And I most certainly don't think that you know a bunch of people who've been dead for hundreds of years should be driving what we consider ethical or moral today. That like, even if the word liberty is the same, what's included in there has expanded as America's heart has expanded to include women, to include racial minorities, to con- include LGBTQIA people. That like, these concepts have expanded and they made America better, kinder more loving and i and my fear is that america is going to become a smaller crueler meaner place that's what they want though they do not want acceptance they do not want everybody to feel invited uh i just um i'm really i'm kind of without words but only because I know what's going to happen. That's the really shitty part about like being interested in history uh, is start to see the outlines of some things coming back again. And um, uh, you could read blogs about the fact about what Ireland was like until when they legalized abortion a couple years ago. Um, all the information's out there. No one cares. Um, no one's going to care until it's their wife or mom or daughter or aunt that's dead. Um, and so good luck to everyone and all your grieving. It's going to be really hard times for a while and, uh, please go out and vote and, you know, voting does a lot more than sharing a shitty fucking snarky meme on Instagram. That's all I have to say about that. And for those of you who are worried and have the capacity, you can move to states that have uh, protected um, these rights. I know that especially for friends who are worried about um, their marriages, who are worried about their loved ones, um, that, you know, that you can look at the states that uh, have protected um, these rights and their laws. This will not stop things if the if the if the Republican Party um, gets the full trifecta in 2024. Um, yep. But it will at least temporarily buy time so that we can hopefully get retain power, expand them, our democratic majorities, and do things like passing federal legislation, like um, adding um, justices to the Supreme Court, um, and then hopefully ultimately doing a... Uh, <laughs> A constitutional amendment, and that's not—that's a long-term goal, not a yeah. short-term goal. But it's been done in the past, and I think that the biggest thing we can do now is just try to help each other in whatever ways we can. Whether it's helping someone move somewhere where they feel safer, or just or just listening, um, because uh, Sarah, unfortunately, I think you're right that like there things are going to get pretty dark. Yep. Um, oh, things are dark, but they're going to get darker. Uh, but that doesn't mean it's going to be that way forever. It's not going to be that way forever. Um, but I wish it didn't take moments like this in history to move the apathetic. And uh, we're back to the whole reason why we started this podcast, which is those local referendums, ballot referendums, you know, your mayor's race, your state rep race. I mean, this is why all that stuff matters. You know, it's like, it's why a bunch of people that you probably thought were boring in your reading group were upset about Citizens United when it came down because 
I'm I'm tired of being called an overreactor and I'm tired of being told that like I care too much about boring stuff that no one really cares about or cares to read about when it's like, yeah, the reason that the world is shit right now is because no one cares about it and no one cares to read about it. Thank you for proving my point, fuckstick. <laughs> I am a bad barometer for this because I find almost nothing boring. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think that things that most people find boring or think are boring, if they actually dug into it, they find it's not boring at all that there's a lot there. Um, and one thing I always try to push, especially cause I know how um, I know our listeners and uh, their hearts are always in the right place. And like going out to vote in every single election, any tiny, every tiny thing is an yeah. act of love, right? It is expressing how much you care about the people in your community, in your state, in your country. Um, that the minor inconvenience to you of going yeah. out to vote, um, that's how you express and demonstrate how much you care because, you know, that when we're in 2024, it's going to be local elections officials who are making this um, million tiny decisions that will cascade into whether or not the uh, election will be stealable or not. It's yep. going to be thousands of state level officials making millions of small decisions that will decide whether or not legislatures, state courts and state and uh, state uh, governorships will go along with an attempted coup it, that we can't just react once we've smashed into the wall. We can't just try to bail out the Titanic. Once we've hit icebergs, we yeah. actually need to like try to look ahead and keep turning the wheel always turn the wheel I, um, because if you're not someone's turning it the other way into the iceberg that that i don't know how to get that exact point across to people which is like when you let go of the wheel as you said like it doesn't just go straight like there's someone else pulling that wants to pull it in the opposite direction like it's not you know the the idea of being apathetic is not morally neutral it's not politically neutral it just means the side that wants to do whatever they want to do more is going to do that and what republicans want to do now is hold back progress and actively make the united states less livable for anyone who isn't a conservative white man yeah my one of my favorite uh cases in torts is a woman who is driving down a country road and as she went over a hill, she said, Jesus, take the wheel and took her hands off the wheel. Um, and then she crashed into a tree. OK. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that's what I try to tell people is that, like, if you do Jesus, take the wheel, unfortunately, you're going to crash into a tree. Yeah. Because if you just let things drift. The, there are always going to be obstacles. There are always going to be problems, foreseen and unforeseen. And you're going to need some active steering at some point. And we've been, we had been lucky that yeah. with congressional dysfunction basically since the early 90s, um, we had been essentially drifting on the uh, on the motion and energy of previous generations of like the fumes of the mid 20th century. Uh, but that's gone now that our fate is up to us, that we have to be the ones uh, to take control because otherwise, you know, the fucking Sam Alitos of the world, the Brett Kavanaugh's of the world, the, <laughs> the, the Donald Trump's of the world, they are perfectly happy uh, to take anything we give them. Um, uh, I'm out of words. Good luck, everybody. Okay. <laughs> uh, good luck, everybody. I'm furious. Um, if you have the audacity to be to like be a person with a dick and tell me that it's going to be okay or be soothing, I will slap you with both sides of my hand. I will paintbrush the fuck out of you. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to hear from one fucking person about how it's like it's actually going to be fine. Like it's not. It's not. Again, we're back to like. Oh, why are you bringing up like a small 1% minority of cases? Because those people exist and they're going to have a horrible time and some of them aren't going to survive. So 
Either either uh, all lives matter or they don't. So which is it, Jethro? Well, in the I don't know if you watch the boys, the Amazon show. There's a uh, uh, a, a soup, a person with superpowers uh, who starts saying all lives matter, soup lives matter, and then when the uh, black protesters who are normal unpowered people get up in his face he has superpowers he says that he's threatened and he starts killing them great yep so uh, he's you know he goes all lives matter soup lives matter and then he starts murdering the people who can't possibly threaten them so just a reminder that like in this time especially as as a bepinist person myself um like if you think you have clever arguments about the constitution or nope. shut the fuck up yeah um if you think that people are overreacting also shut the fuck up do you think uh, if the word if the word or phrase devil's advocate comes to mind <laughs> do me a favor up. do me a favor i want you to get some rum i want you to get some 151 i want you to pour it all over your head take a couple drinks then i want you to light your fucking hair on fire and I don't want you to immediately put it out. I want you to do it in a dry place where you're not sure where the closest hose is. And I just want you to burn from the hair up because that's what you deserve in this life. It's a waste of, waste of good liquor, though. Um, make sure to do it with something disgusting like Jaeger. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say 151 bananas. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or one of those cotton candy flavored. Yes. Bowls. Yes. <laughs> Which you know, I'm not. I'm not down on flavored alcohols per se, but goddamn cotton candy artificial flavoring is the fucking worst. It's okay. Good. I thought you were gonna say it's like it's like good, and I no no. no. And uh, let's let's make the world's worst transition um, of things that are delicious. Though <laughs> I did see that you posted uh, a little bit about rodeo relish, right? Yeah. So um, I do. My things that I have to look forward to, and like I basically ex- exclusively date uh, men who have vasectomies anyway. Um, but I signed a lease on uh, an actual manufacturing space on the west side of Indianapolis. I'm, Congratulations! I'm super excited about that. I have a co-working partner, um, and we're gonna we're gonna share the burden and uh, the joy. And most importantly, the uh, voluminous storage space. So um, that's a that's a Tom Hanley joint who is just a really fucking cool dude who um, uh, runs a nonprofit here called Nine Thirteen Sports, and it's um, it's a really cool. It's like a little cycling. It's not a little, but they set up these like um, electric bikes in uh, schools, and kids can get into cycling, and then you can also like learn how to build your own bike. And uh, there's just like it's really cool. It offers access to like actual sustainable transit to people who can then do all the work themselves. So it's just like, I don't know. It's really cool. It's empowering. Um, and it's his building and boy, howdy, I am glad to be Tom's neighbor now. That's awesome. And I have to say, uh, that, you know, metal honey is going to take over the world. (laughs) I'm happy to live, to live in a metal honeyocracy in the, (laughs) in the future. Um, and, uh, where, where, where can people find your products? Oh yeah. Uh, find them online, metalhoney.com. I apologize. Uh, I know a bunch of people ordered last week. Um, I am getting those out tonight. It has been, it's been a little wild around here. So anyway, uh, thank you so much for your orders. And, uh, I think you can use, I think you use the, uh, coupon code stew or is it perp stew try one of those try any combination it'll be like a codex good luck <laughs> i love that that's fantastic um what about you where can they find you online uh they can well they can always like subscribe and share uh the perpetual stew or tweet at us at perp stew we always love to hear from you um if you have time leave a review that really helps us with the algorithm um, also, the legalaccountabilityproject.org, um, just legalaccountabilityproject.org, sorry, um, you can find uh, we're doing a lot of work on trying to fight harassment and discrimination in the judiciary because we think that, uh, you know, driving – because it falls disproportionately on women and minorities, um, which then eventually leads to uh, a less uh, a less just 
judiciary and thus a less just America. So we're doing our work there to try to, you know, <laughs> get different people on the courts. Um, I was going to say, cool down the hellscape. Hold your local judiciary accountable. Yes, exactly. And we do everything. We, we cover, cover all courts from state and local all the way up to federal and SCOTUS. So, um, yeah, we're doing our work there. And soon there will be a donate button up for all of you Woo-hoo. who are interested in supporting our work. Um, and you're going to be seeing a variety of stuff uh, from me and my co-founder, Eliza, um, and uh, our intern, Lizzie, um, <laughs> over, the next, uh, over the next several months as we travel coast to coast talking about these issues. Awesome. Well, All right. I hate having this conversation with you, Matt, but I'm glad that we get to have them at least together. I agree. And for, again, all of you out there, you know, love each other. Take the time. Process emotionally however you need to. I know that some of my friends joined protests. I know others of you are having difficult conversations with your children. Um, do what you need to to take care of yourself, that this is a this is a marathon. Um not a sprint. So we're all just got to keep being up for it and uh, taking care of each other is the best thing we can do. Hell yeah. Yeah. All right. So that's going to do it for this week. Uh, This is the perpetual stew. I'm Matthew Goodman. I'm Sarah Merle. And until next time, stay curious. Bye.